WGBB Sports Talk Flashback. He was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2002. I welcome to Sports Talk 1240 tonight, Clark Gillies. Clark, good evening. Hey, Bill, how are you? Uh, we're all in a good mood. We only had a couple of channels on TV, and we got always my, my favorite player in the Chicago Blackhawks uh, when I was that, that you developed that, or, or always through, throughout your younger years, <laughs> you played that way? Well, you grow, you kind of grow in the small town, Wayburn, Saskatchewan, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's, the game has changed a lot. There's not as much fighting as there used to be, but, uh, um, I had, uh, I had a lot more fights in junior hockey than I had in, uh, than I had in the. <laughs> Man. Now, the Islanders made you the first round selection, uh, in, in the draft. They took you fourth of them, Clark. Eagle Grass. I, I read some about it. I never really even spoke to anybody at Edmonton, I, my agent. Uh, I thought maybe I could, I could play the two off each other. Uh, you know, Edmonton wasn't, wasn't a place that I really wanted to go in the first place, but I thought, well, from, from a negotiating yeah. perspective, it might work out well. But, um, the Islanders were by far the, uh, you know, had the, had the best offer for me, so it made it pretty easy. Sure. And, uh, obviously it worked out pretty well, but, uh, um, yeah, no, there wasn't much uh, much interest on my part of going up to Edmonton, and uh, uh, I had spent a lot of time with Bill Torre and Al Arbor um, during that summer of the draft, and um, they made it they made me feel pretty comfortable about coming here. Outstanding. Well, during your rookie season, you sort of established yourself as one of the tough players in the NHL. You got in with, into it with another guy. I was watching these uh, these clips on YouTube uh, of. Yeah. Uh, of fights of yesteryear, and of course we're talking about the Hammer, Dave Schultz, Schultz yeah. and he—he's your buddy now. Oh yeah, no, Schultz and I get along great. I, uh, I actually played after I retired. We I played on a old-timers team uh, with him. We traveled all over northern Canada, you know, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia. He's, you know, but you know the the, the thing about hockey players is they're all, you know, they're all out there trying to. Trying to earn a living, and sometimes you got to do the dirty stuff, and that's that's really all Schultz was doing. And uh, you know, when, when the game is over and your careers are over, everybody's just <laughs> thankfully made it out alive. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. He's another Saskatchewan boy. He grew up in uh, Rosetown, Saskatchewan, I believe. And yeah. uh, so I was kind of inbred into him too. But uh, uh, we, like I said, we get along great. Uh, yeah, I, I had Ty Domi on the show a while back, Clark. Yeah, and, uh, he, yeah. He, he was talking about how him and Probert used to get into it, and they became the best of friends, too. Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, it becomes water under the bridge, and uh, you move on. And, and it just, just I think I think most, most of the tough guys in the league have uh, a certain respect for each other. And, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, I mean, it, we're, we're – we're, we're just human beings like everybody else, but we uh, we get paid to do some of that stuff. So. Sure. Well, you scored 30 goals four straight seasons as part of that great line with Bossy and Trottier, uh, named to the All-Star team twice. Give us a little rundown on playing on that line with Bossy and Trotz, Clark. Well, that was, it was kind of unique because uh, Brian and I were playing together. Uh, we, had, we were playing with Billy Harris at that time. Okay. And then uh, when they drafted Mike, uh, it was really 
I mean, it was really the first day of practice. Al said, you three are playing together. Figure it out. And uh, it didn't take long. I mean, it was it was almost instantaneous. Everything we did just seemed to click. And, uh, and you know, it was, you need to, need to say it was easy, but, boy, I'll tell you what, it was, uh, I, you couldn't have had three guys that were more compatible. It, uh, you know, I, I'd usually spend most of the time in, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the corners banging guys and somehow get the puck to Trotsky and Trotsky would somehow get it to Bossy and once you got it to Bossy there wasn't, there wasn't much left to do because he scored just about every time he gave it to him. But, yeah, there, as they say, the rest is history, right? Yeah. But we were, uh, it was, it was, it was fun playing with those guys. It was, you know, it was just everything, like I said, everything just seemed so natural and, uh, you never really, well, we worked very hard as a line, but it just seemed to come very easily to us. And, uh, I enjoyed my time with them. There's no question about that. And then when uh, when Butch Goring came in 1980, um, Al took me off that line and <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> took me off that line, put me with Butch and Dwayne Sutter. And uh, you know we had good success there. Not quite as much as playing with uh, Trotcher Boss, but uh, all in all, it was, uh, it was it was a good time. Goring really, uh, the acquisition of Goring coming from the L.A. Kings really took the pressure off that first line, though, didn't it? Well, it did. It gave us it gave us a little more balance, though, and, and uh, teams really started to focus on covering, you know, the Trotchin line and uh, thinking that was going to be their success, the route to their success. And then when we when we broke up the line, and I went with Butchie and. Um, we had good success with him and I and Dwayne Sutter, and then, of course, you got Wayne Merrick's line with Bobby Nystrom and John Finelli. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody could score. We had pretty good balance on our on our three lines, the top three lines anyway. The fourth lines were just expert penalty killers, but uh, everybody everybody did their job. They sure did. Now, you had the guys defending Clark. We're talking to Clark Gillies tonight on Sports Talk 1240. You had Smitty in the goal, uh, Dennis Potvin back on the blue line. Talk a little bit about those two guys, Hall of Famers as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, there's no question that uh, we don't talk about Smitty first. He, uh, you know, you talk about money, goaltenders, and, and guys, guys that can prepare uh, in big situations. And uh, I don't think there was any better, anybody better than Smitty. He was uh, in the total zone. He was well. He was willing to do just about anything he could to uh, make sure that he and uh, and the team were going to be successful. And then they got a little bit of crap for some of that stuff. But um, you know, you didn't go too close to Smitty's mess without <laughs> worry, no. worrying about getting getting some part of his stick wrapped around your body. And um, uh, you know, so he he did what he had to do. He was stand up goaltender. He was tremendous on his angles and. And just a vicious competitor. Um, I, I've never seen a guy. He uh, he used to get to the rink a couple hours before the game, get his gear on, just sit there and sort of stare into nowhere. And you could see he was just getting focused on what he had to do that night. And uh, you know, I didn't even talk to him for two hours before the game. I wouldn't even I'd barely look at him. And then before we go on the ice, I'd smack him on the pads and say, "Let's go." But uh, um, yeah, he was very focused and, uh, and, and and it showed in his in his game. How about uh, but, how about Potvin? Yeah, as far as Danny's concerned, I mean, he's, he's just he's just a world class defenseman. I, I I don't know. They keep 
we keep seeing this new crop of defensemen coming in now, but, uh, you know, when you yeah, Bobby Orr, and then I would say uh, Dennis Foxen, uh, as far as, you know, just great offensive defensemen, and not, not to say Danny couldn't play defense, because he certainly could, but, um, you know, Orr kind of changed the game, and Denny kind of took over from Bobby, and then from from Denny, <clears throat> excuse me, from Denny, it went to Paul Coffey, and, mm-hmm. you know, and on and on and on, but, uh, yeah, Denny's just a, was a world-class defenseman and, and uh, will always go down as one of the best that are played. We'll talk about Al Arbor a little bit, Clark. He really didn't uh, didn't leave you guys too much to wonder what he was thinking. He, he If there was something uh, eating at Al, he'd let you know, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. No, Al was uh, uh, you, you kind of knew what you were getting when Al came up to talk to you because uh, – you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't mince words and he, he was able to really get the best out of every player on our team. And, uh, I think it certainly was maybe a little easier for Al because he had the same group of guys for a very long time. So you get, it's pretty easy to get familiar when you got guys in your team for 10 years in a row. But, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, I don't think a lot of people even realize that we had 16 guys played on all four Stanley Cup teams. Uh, that's what you talk. That's that's talking keeping your nucleus together together and just adding a few pieces here and there. But uh, uh, so Al did get an opportunity to really understand each and every one of us, and he was able to push the right buttons uh, at any given moment to make sure he was getting the best out of everybody. Now and, you, uh, he was good at it. He sure was. Now, you were named captain in 76-77, but you weren't particularly comfortable with the captaincy, were you, Clark? No, um, kind of got, I don't want to say, thrown into that position. Uh, Eddie Westfall was the captain at the time. And, um, some of the older guys on the team uh, felt that was, we should have a change, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, we actually had a vote in the locker room, um, and it was between Brian Trotche and I as to who was going to be the captain. I was 20. I was 22, and Trotsch was 21. And, uh, you know, we were sort of in a pretty good position there. Um, now, I, I had it for a couple of years, and I just um, – they worked probably the two best years of my career. And I and – I, although, I, you know, I played all right, I was just – I just – some of the responsibilities, some of the, the on-ice, it was more on-the-ice stuff of, you know, running back and forth to the referee, mm-hmm. make, you know, you know, the pal. Go ask him what that's all about. And I said, well, Al, he got a penalty. What can I tell you? I'm not going to take it back. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, so some right. of it was kind of stupid. Had I known we were going to win the cup, the cup a year after I gave it up, I probably would have hung on to it for a little longer. But uh, uh, I just wasn't, you know, for whatever reason, uh, some of them, you know, some of them were, were small, but, but it was just a, more of a comfort thing. And, I felt I could be a more help to the team without it, and uh, and you were. Al and, I, Al and I sat down and we talked about who would be a good person for the C. And I, I was all in favor of giving it to Denny, and because uh, you know, was a big part of the team, uh, and, and I think it made Denny a better player too. He, he just, you know, he he'd be the first one to admit he's got a fairly sizable ego, and he went out there with that C on his jersey, and he wanted to make sure everybody. Uh, Knew he, he he deserved to have that on the sweater, and he led he led by example every night. He played hard every night, and uh, you know, I was fine. I was fine without it. Uh, trust me, it didn't. Uh, 
I got my hands on the cup pretty pretty quick after we won it the first time, though. You sure did, yeah. Now, as we say, the uh, giving up the captaincy lets you take on your role as protector, enforcer, whatever, and and you really seem to thrive in that role. And the, nothing brought that out more than the series against Boston when you went up against Terry O'Reilly. Well, that was yeah, that was. Uh... Partially because of my uh, roommate, Mr. Nystrom. Uh, <laughs> we had, as you remember, we lost to Toronto in 78. We play. Basically, we, we did not play a physical brand of hockey then, and, and they beat us in seven games. But then the next year we played the Rangers, and we played pretty tough. I mean, I, I don't think we were lacking physical part of the thing. You know, we ran into a very high goaltender, John Davidson. Um, but... But the rap on us was that when it came down, you know, pushing and shoving, we weren't going to show up. And uh, the night before the first game in Boston in the 1980 playoffs, Bobby Nystrom told me that he said that uh, we're, we're not letting that happen again. He said, "You, we got to take responsibility here." And, and he said, "You, you take O'Reilly because I played against O'Reilly all the time." He says, "You got O'Reilly." He says, "I'll take Wednesday." <laughs> we'll get Gordon, Gary Howitt, we'll give him somebody, and Gordon Lane somebody, and, and if anything happens, we're all, you know, we're all in this together, we're going to fight these guys. And actually, the, the what really ticked them off was the sports guy came on the, uh, for the sports report on 11 o'clock news, and, and the news anchor said, who, who do you pick in the series? And he said, I picked the Bruins in five because they'll totally intimidate the Islanders, and the Islanders won't be able to play. Ah. And uh, that's when Mason almost went through the TV after the game. <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. As it turned out, we beat them in five. And won the first two games in Boston, won again at home, and then they, they snuck out, because of O'Reilly, snuck out the fourth game here at Coliseum. And then we beat them pretty easily in game four, game five up in Boston. But it really showed everybody around the league that uh, that, that we were now, now a what, well, we I guess a full, a well-rounded team that we're going to play physical and we can play hockey. So, right. Uh, it was a big, it was a big stepping stone for for us, not only me and Nice and everybody, but uh, uh, for our team in general, just to show everybody that you know you weren't going to you weren't going to walk all over us anymore, and, and uh, uh, you're going to get something very serious in return. So sure. It was a big, big step for our team. Definitely. Now, we'll we'll look at the first cup. Um, your your buddy Nystrom comes up big against Pete Peters. I think he was assisted by Henning and Tonelli. Correct right. me if I'm wrong. But well, where were you during that particular goal? And and uh, fill us in about the atmosphere in the Coliseum and uh, just just set the stage for us. Well, I was actually on the bench. I had just gotten off of a shift and I was, I was tired and kind of put my head down. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they hear the a loud roar, right? And I looked up, and, and I don't know that I actually saw Bobby tip it in. I, I watched it 10,000 times on the replay, but um, I'm not so sure I actually saw the play really develop. Because, um, like I said, we had just gotten off, and I was dead tired. And, and uh, But, you know, it didn't take long to get uh, get rejuvenated again after Bobby scored. But, yeah, if you watch on the replay, I think every – Philly fans still think that Nystrom was offside. You know, they put him offside or something. But like I said, I've, I've watched it over and over again, and uh, <laughs> I might be a little biased, but I, 
I know what offside is, and that wasn't offside. It was a you know, beautiful tip in by Bobby. Great pass by John, and, and a beautiful tip in, and it was just uh, it's just a, the thrill of that moment that you can't describe. I mean, as a, as a youngster growing up in, in you know in Western Canada or wherever wherever you grow up, and you dream to play in the NHL, and, and certainly the ultimate goal is to win the cup. And, to have finally achieved that at that moment, it was uh, it was beyond words to really describe it. Beautiful. Now, Clark, throughout your career, uh, you were a solid skater. You had a great shot. You passed the puck well. You back checked well. You you really became a savvy hockey player, but you, you never exceeded a hundred penalty minutes, even with your style of play. <laughs> to me, that's a real tribute to your game. Yeah. No. I um, I got a lot of. I don't know. I didn't. See, my thing was, you know, I, I think someone tabulated where I had 55 or 56 fighting majors over the course of my career. That's not a heck of a lot of fights, although there were some pretty, pretty good ones. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I didn't. I wasn't one. You know, some of the guys that you know, Tiger would get 300 minutes penalties during the course of the year, but he'd yeah. have 10, he'd 10, 10 minute misconducts on top of that, and I'd. Have, if you went back and looked, I, I, I don't know that I had a, a 10 minute misconduct, a 2 and 10 where you argue a call and you get another 10 minutes. I, I didn't, I didn't feel I was doing anybody any good by sitting in the penalty box. So, uh, whenever I got a penalty, it was usually for, uh, you know, roughing, elbowing, something, you know, something where I was hitting somebody and I get two minutes and I never argued the call. I just went to the penalty box, served my two minutes and, and that was done with. So, Basically, I had you know a fair amount of fights and, and, a, and, a, and a few minor penalties. But uh, um, I, I, somebody somebody said to me, "I have a bet." Because somebody said, "You you never got more than 100 minutes penalties in a season." I said, "You know what? I didn't really know that until after I finished playing. I never really kept that, track of that stat and uh, didn't care about it." But uh, I don't know. I just like I said, I, I, I got a penalty and boom, that was it. I went to the box and. I guess I deserved it, and I'll, I'll serve my time and get up and do something good after that. Took it, get out, and do what you have to do. Exactly. <laughs> now, the Islanders left you unprotected in the NHL waiver draft. You, uh, Buffalo picks you up. How did you feel about leaving the Islanders, Clark? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty hurt at the time. Uh, you know, part of me understood what the Islanders were doing. The team was kind of. You know, they had stuck with us for as long, I think, as they could without making a whole lot of changes. And then, and then in 80, in 86, uh, they put me on waivers and Bobby Bourne on waivers. And there was a big, a big move afoot to really change the direction of the team. And, um, there's an old story every player can tell you that the GM came in and said, the team's going in a different direction and you're not going with us. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Which is not is not what you want to hear, but uh, but Bill Torrey was was very good. He said to me, uh, you know, where would you where do you want to go? And I said, I don't want to, I don't really don't want to go far because you know I'm not I'm not taking my wife and my three kids at that time um, to Buffalo with me. I go up and see what it's like, and if I if I enjoy it there, we you know there were a few different factors uh, involved, and I said I'll just uh, you know. It was easy to get home from Buffalo flights. There was a, a lot of flights in and out of New York, and so if I needed to get home in a hurry, it was easy. Um, 
and Scotty Bowman was in Buffalo at that time, and I had, had some good good experiences with Scotty with Team Canada, the Challenge Cup in '79 at Madison Square Garden, and then Team Canada in '81. And um, I think we had pretty good respect for each other, and, and uh, I enjoyed playing with Scotty, except for one thing: he got fired about three months after the season started. Oh man! And uh, Craig Ramsey took over, and he got fired a couple of months later. And we had to, then Ted Sater came in. And uh, he took over for the rest of the first year, and he was there the second year, and then I retired. But um, I enjoyed it in Buffalo. I really did. I, it was not. It was never a place on the circuit that, it, that we really enjoyed going. It was uh, kind of depressing. Downtown Buffalo was <laughs> yeah not the prettiest place in the world. But uh, you know, you just you forget that there's places outside the city, and the people, and 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 everything about the place was so friendly. Um, I, our, my whole family, I took Pam and the three girls up there the second year. And when we finally retired, I lived there for a year and then we had to move back here. The kids were devastated. They, they, they love Buffalo. They wanted to stay there. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's getting back to, to getting put on waivers. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a business. And, and, you know, I was just happy to be able to, I had two years left in my contract. I was just happy to be able to go someplace and then. Sure. Up those last couple of years, and if I didn't get hurt, I hurt my right knee pretty badly in, in the last year I played. And had I not hurt myself, I may have tried to go someplace else see if somebody needed a big burly winger. I, I actually, I actually was uh, at that time. I, I just I was recently was at Mario Lemieux's fantasy camp in Pittsburgh as one of his coaches, and. Uh, I just realized, I said, you know what, I'm so stupid, I could have played with you. I, I said, you think you guys would have picked me up if I uh, wanted to come to Pittsburgh in 1986? He goes, hell yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I would have got a chance to play with Mario at a young age. but uh, And a lot of different guys played with him, and, and they all just rave about how great he was to be around, and I can see that now, now that I know him a little more personally. But... Uh, and then I made my decision, and I went up to Buffalo. It, it, I had a good time. I enjoyed the players. Played with the likes of Lindy Ruff and Mike Ramsey and mm-hmm. Bill Housley and Dave Anderchuk and a few other guys that went on to have pretty good careers. So, um, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. How do you feel, Clark, about the move to Brooklyn with the Islanders? Uh, a lot of controversy. Uh, fans aren't turning out in Brooklyn as as well as they thought. Give us your feelings on the move to Brooklyn. Well, I, you know, I guess ultimately it's uh, it's better than Kansas City or Quebec City. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I I've had pretty good experiences, to be honest with you. As as a fan, I, I take the uh, train out of Huntington, um, and then there's you know the, the nine. It's a five hundred three train out of Huntington gets you into Atlantic at about ten after six, and then you mosey on over there. You're there. In the, build, in the building easily by about 20, 25 after 6, and the game starts at 7, so it's not horrible. Yeah. Um, the sidelines from the, you know, the real good seats at, at the Barclays Center are, are, are pretty good. I've never sat up top, uh, so from a fan's perspective, I can't tell you what that's like, but um, they've got beautiful amenities, nice clubs. Uh, the building is, is beautiful and clean, and... and uh, you know what? They, the, the Barclays people have been, have been pretty nice to, nice to us. As a, speaking from an alumni standpoint, uh, they've gotten us pretty involved with promoting 
uh, what's going on down there at the Barclays Center. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, like I said, they made us feel very comfortable, and, and uh, I can't say enough about those people. Uh, I don't know that the players are very are real comfortable with what's going on there, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like every – they're getting used to every game being sort of like a road trip for them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think they're, they've adjusted a little, uh, they were going the early in the season, they had to, they had to go into the, into the Barclay Center in the morning, pregame skate, stay in a hotel in the city, and then they'd be there all day to take a car home at the end of the night. But I think they've changed that schedule. I think they now practice at Iceworks over in Sayasa on the day of the game. And, and they can go do their thing for a little while, maybe go home visit the wife or the girlfriend uh, or the kids and have a little nap and then get into the get into the Barclays, basically. They all go in by train. They yeah, go well, in by train and, take, and then they get a car home at night. So I think they're starting to adapt to it a little bit. As you um, say, Clark, it's better than, than Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, and, you know, you've heard the rumor mill about them possibly coming back out here um, after they renovate the Coliseum, but... Uh, you know, 13,000 seats isn't going to cut it, so unless they expand that to 17, uh, we're going to have to get used to watching them at the Barclays Center. And uh, you know what? The Ranger fans do it. They all they have a lot of fans from Long Island going to Madison Square Garden to watch the Rangers. So it's, it's sure. It's, it's, not, it's not like I said, it's not that difficult you know, based on the experiences I've had. Well, Clark, it's been a pleasure having you with us tonight. I thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday night to be with us. Well, Bill, thank you very much, and good luck with your show, and uh, I'll see you in person. All right, Clark, you take care. Thanks, Bill. Clark Gillies, folks.